Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. No, I have to say, I really appreciate all of you out there who are listening. I And I really love getting all of your messages, your questions, and your comments. And as I've mentioned before, if you go to my website, behindthebitepodcast.com, you can send me a voice message on my new SpeakPipe voicemail. Or you can also send me a private DM or message on any of my social media. And I will try to get to each and every one of your comments and questions on here. And that's just what I'm going to do right now. Uh, A listener just sent me a question asking what they should do if they think they have an eating disorder. And first, I want to acknowledge that if it's you who wrote me that question, or you, if you have that question yourself, then just the awareness enough to ask this question means that you know that your relationship with food needs to be addressed on some level. You know that there is some struggle there and that deep down inside, you know something's not right. And I can't diagnose anyone on this podcast or in a DM or an email. Um, and that's why I created the free nine-week email course that's on the website And all of you can go get that on the website. That email course is there to help you understand more about your relationship with food and your body. And hopefully by the end of the night week course, if you do it, you'll understand more about yourself and it'll help you make a decision about if you want to seek help or not. But even if you don't do that course, I really encourage anyone out there who is asking themselves this question to get a clinical assessment from a qualified clinician who treats people with eating disorders. Eating disorders are not illnesses that you can just ignore and they're gonna get better. If anything, the exact opposite happens. So the sooner you get help, the better. And I will have links in today's show notes for anyone who who needs that help or where to find it because there are so many resources out there and I've had several guests on previous podcasts here to discuss what some of those resources are So if you've missed any of those podcasts, I really encourage you to go back and listen. And look, I also know it's not always easy to get help. There can be so many barriers to treatment, which is exactly why I'm adding those resources. Many of them are free and they're available 24-7. And I also encourage any of you listening to try to open up to someone that you trust. I have said it before on the show, and I'm going to say it again. You are only as sick as your secrets. And as difficult, scary, embarrassing, or shameful as it can be to feel to open up about what you're thinking, feeling, or doing, there really does come so much relief in being able to open up to someone who you trust and you know that can be there to help you through this. So the bottom line is none of you out there, if you're struggling, you cannot do this alone, which is really why I do this podcast because I really appreciate when guests come on here to talk about their own journeys. Because if you're out there and you're hearing someone else open up and say things that you can relate to, my hope is that you can help, you can feel less alone. And guess what? That's what we have in store for today's show. We are fortunate to have Brooke 
Heberling here. She is not only someone who recovered from an eating disorder, but she's a best-selling author whose debut novel, Protecting Her Peace, shows one woman's 16-year battle through a debilitating eating disorder and running addiction. Her raw ability to paint a picture for those who may not understand while connecting with those who suffer is rare yet craved by both sides. Brooke is a proud wife and mother that loves to challenge and connect with her students. All right. Well, Brooke, welcome to the show. Really excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm very ecstatic to be involved with your programs. Love it. Well, so why don't you tell us a little bit more about your background and um, just how you got to today? So I am an eating disorder survivor and also an exercise addiction uh, survivor as well. I started some really, really awful poor behaviors at about 15 years old. Um, I'm a type of person that believes that eating disorders come from nature and nurture. So it's kind of a combo. You have this, this gene, this type of hereditary action within you that is addictive behaviors on top of learned behaviors. So I was the perfect storm for a long time of, uh, I call myself like a victim of the nineties, right? Like the nineties had all these beautiful women with these unattainable, um, tea tiny, wonderful selves that, uh, we all had to compare ourselves to as consumers of media in that time period. And, I took it to an extreme. I'm kind of a, I have been known in my life to be a one to 10 person. I was not just going to be a runner. I was going to be a ultra marathon runner. I was not just going to be, a, you know, a, I took everything to the end degree mm-hmm. and it all caught up to me at the age of 31. I had a husband who, or I have a husband, he's wonderful. And I had just had my second child. So I had my son when I was 27, my daughter when I was 29. And at the age of 31, I was running ungodly amounts and not fueling my body in the way that I needed to, to sustain healthily that type of exercise and activity. And my heart started failing. I think that's what people don't realize that most people that pass away or die from eating disorders, it's mostly your body just kind of gives out because once the extra reserves are gone, uh, the most beautiful, wonderful muscle in your body that gets consumed is your heart. So my heart was failing and I decided to go to treatment um, after it was kind of an interesting conversation with my dietitian. I was sitting there and I told the dietitian, I said, I don't know why I have to be here. I was taught all these behaviors. I was taught about all of this. I was taught that food is the enemy, that all those things. And she looked me in the eyes and said, do you want your kids sitting here and saying the same things to me in 20 years? And 
I was like, absolutely not. And she said, well, then you need to go get help because you are going to put onto your children, your triggers, your insecurities, your um, habits. And I just wasn't willing to do that. So I went to treatment at 31 years old. And I don't know if you, the, the, the amount of people that are 31 years old in eating disorder treatment are not the majority. It's a lot of children. And, and I see children like 19, 18, 17, that their parents are, thank God, willing to push them to get better and to get help and to get guidance. And I ended up just completely immersed in a self, like I actually had permission to, to eat, to be, to sit, to not go and hyper actively just do all the things. I think that's something that's very common with people that suffer with eating disorders. It's very hard to sit still. It's very hard to sit in emotion. It's very hard to sit. So I went to treatment to sit and to feel and to learn to deal with all the static around me um, in a healthier way. And it worked for me. I was very grateful that it did because there's many people that go to treatment and they, they do not have the right treatment team or they do not have the right fit or the composition of the people within the program are not recovery oriented. But I was very blessed to be in a place where I thrived in recovery. And I promised myself the reason I'm here, the reason I'm talking to you and the reason I am putting my story and myself out there is because I promised that when I did recover, I would give back to the community because it is, it's such a tight knit group that needs motivation, that needs to see people succeed on different levels, coming from different walks of life and different backgrounds and different ages, because it's hard. It's not easy to do to recover from an eating disorder. The world is not made for people in recovery. So you, you said so much and thank you for sharing, you know, your, your path to getting here. And I'm just, you know, so many questions kind of popped up as you were talking, um, you know, how scary for your heart to be giving out. And I'm just, I was imagining, how did you know that was happening? What, what was that experience like for you? So, um, I actually went to a, a, a cardiologist I was, I had a very, very low heart rate, which most people um, contributed to my ability to be such a avid runner. And sometimes that can get lost in athlete, like athletes have slower heart rates. Yes, because that their heart is used to working a little extra. So it rests a little extra. But um, my heart rate at when I was at rest was 33 beats per minute. And in the middle of the night, I would feel my heart stop and I would have to get out of bed 
I would like jolt awake and I'd have to get out of bed and do jumping jacks to like truly get my heart rate up enough to, to sustain life. (laughs) So I, it's kind of an interesting question and I'm glad you asked that. I, I really felt, I felt myself dying. I felt my heart stopping. I felt my heart struggling. And the sad part was the doctors that I was with were congratulating me, giving me a pat on the back because I was such an athlete that I had this athletic heart, but it really was my heart struggling to function. So, you know, for anyone listening, I'm just wondering, like on the day to day, did you have any other symptoms besides, you know, in the middle of the night? Did you like stand up and like kind of feel like you're going to pass out or see black or I mean did you have low energy like what else did you experience because I can imagine if that was the case there just existing must have been a there must have been some other symptoms or something else going on that sounds so scary for sure it was it was a daily I was exhausted constantly um and I, I have attained so many medical issues due to my um, lack of nutrition and understanding of my body. I have now have sleep apnea. So I was stopping breathing in the middle of the night. Um, so I, during the day, I would literally kind of feel a tingling in my face and in my eyes would roll back and my body would just kind of shut down. So I would be at work, driving, talking to somebody and I could feel it coming and I would just kind of almost nod off and wake up. It was like my body was shutting down and I felt it shutting down and it was terrifying. It was terrifying, but for those people that are listening, it really was a heart thing. I could feel my heart struggling. It was, I didn't know. And I guess because I felt it for so long, I didn't know people just don't feel their heart rate every, like constantly. I, I was constantly aware that my heart was beating or how fast or how slow because my body was trying to tell me to nourish myself, to stop, slow down. and. I guess I just didn't know any different because I had done that from the time I was a preteen. So it, it was a long-term misunderstanding of what was normal and what was not. And what I was feeling was not normal. It was malnutrition. My body was trying, begging me to slow down, eat, fuel itself. But I didn't, I thought it was normal because I just didn't know. You know, and that's one of the main reasons why I do do this podcast is because I think a lot of people out there are engaging in behaviors and maybe experiencing symptoms or having a day-to-day life where they're just thinking this is normal. This is how it is or how everyone else lives. And much to your point, that's what you thought. You just thought this is, this is life. This is normal and absolutely not. Right. Um, but at what point did you finally just go in and realized, wait, this isn't normal. Like I'm actually at risk for, you know, dying. Well, for me, um, for me, it was watching my children. Um, my children, my son, especially he was four at the time. And 
he was terrified of food. Anytime there was a new food introduced to him, anytime we would go break routine, go out to a restaurant, which we hardly ever did because of my inability to cope with the outside world involving food. Um, I saw him breaking down. I saw him shutting down and I saw him modeling my behaviors around food, around exercise. And I also saw myself missing out. Um, I, I call it Ed Faced and anybody, I feel like that was my personal name for it, but that blank stare you get when you can't even engage in the world around you because you are so deep inside your head and spiraling, thinking about all the rules that you just broke or the, the, the activities you could be doing other than sitting there. Um, the different, it, it was just a constant um, nagging in my brain that it finally got to the point where I understood I was miserable. I understood that my life sucked because I was constantly disengaging in the world and just living inside my head, which was a really dark and terrible place to live. And so when I, and again, I thought that was normal. But then when I saw my son doing the same behaviors, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't want him to have this life. I don't want my daughter to feel this way about her body one day. And it really made me step back and realize that if I didn't get help, I was just going to pass on the generational tradition of hating my body, myself to my children. And I didn't, that wasn't an option for me. On top of, I couldn't literally function. I was falling asleep, passing out when I was driving. Um, it was unsafe. I was in an unsafe place with how little my body could function on zero nutrients. So, you know, as you're talking, I'm wondering if anyone in the audience might be thinking, okay, so you started, you know, so much younger and, um, you know, even for myself, I know the doctors were kind of putting a lot of fear into me, like, okay, if you keep this up, you're not going to be able to have kids. And, you know, so I'm wondering, like, did it, did no doctor kind of monitor you enough, even before you got pregnant or during your pregnancies to say, Hey, you know, your heart's really struggling here. You're having some malnutrition or your body's, you know, got some problems or something's going on. Like there was nothing that was caught along the way. Um, well, and I, you know, you're right. And to me, that's kind of the tragedy in my story is that, um, so unfortunately in the, in the area that I'm in, there were not a lot of doctors that were well-versed and eating disorders and understanding the ins and outs of the symptoms that I was experiencing was directly connected to my nutrition and exercise regimen. But also I lied. I was a liar. I would go in and I would tell them everything they wanted to hear. And then they would tell me, and I did have doctors say, you know, you're quite thin, you're quite this, you're quite that. 
but I'm telling you, um, I did not have the right doctors. They were praising me for my athletic ability. They were praising me for my athletic heart. And I did not understand the, that I was abnormal or that I was doing things that was going to harm me long-term and in the future and in the present until I actually went to a doctor that specialized in eating disorders. So once I got there, it was kind of a appealing back of the layers of, okay, yes, I know the doctors have told you this, but they did not know you weren't eating. I know the doctors told you this, but they did not know that you were purging. They did not know you were doing this. They did not know. And so I feel like if I had been honest from the get-go with my doctors, I would have had more conversations with them to the extent that I needed to, to get kind of shook out of my head. But I just wasn't being honest. I was just like, I'm just then, I just run. It's fine. And I didn't have any doctors challenge me on that until it was almost too late. Well, and this is, you know, this is a whole nother podcast, but this is actually a lot of the problem I have with, you know, the weight bias with um, a lot of the medical field is, you know, if you look a certain way, you know, what society You're healthy. is a standard, they, they pat you on the back and applaud you and they overlook some of the most unhealthiest of uh, behaviors, right? And and don't really ask too many questions. And, you know, even for myself, when I, I send people I'm working with to the medical doctors for labs and things, you know, well, they said I looked great and they sent me on my way and I'm going, but you're so sick and you're engaging in so many behaviors that is harming your body and your body's not actually meant to, you know, look like it does. But, you know, society says, you're on the right track. And that's really the problem I have with a lot of this. And that's why I talk a lot about this too, is you can't look at anybody and know what state of health they're in physically. And a hundred percent, a hundred percent, because I, I do have a, a smaller frame, but I am now so much heavier than I was when I was manipulating my body and my and my exercise and my food intake, because I, I thought that was what it was supposed to be. I thought I had this number and it's a part of that is my fault for, you know, I had rules in my body and my weight and my mind that, you know, if I get above this number, like I have to do something to get down. And it was such an unhealthy way of experiencing, um, experiencing life through that vessel. Like I believe our bodies are vessels to get us through this life, to go for our, you know, personal journeys and to achieve the dreams and the things that we want to do. But I had this just training from my surroundings and from my own brain of like what that looked like that I could not enjoy my life unless I was below this weight. Um, I could not exist or be beautiful or worthy unless I was below this weight. And it's just such baloney. <laughs> it's just baloney. It's, 
I, I am so much happier and fulfilled now um, that I allow my body to be in the state that it is. And I've come to realize too, and I don't have to always like my body, but I have to respect it. Like there's an amount of respect. Like I don't get another one in this lifetime. This is it. And if I continue to try to manipulate myself into being something that I'm not, my body into something that I'm not, I'm going to ruin my chance to make an impact in this lifetime on this world. And I'm not willing to do that anymore. And I don't know. I think a lot of it has to do with age and experience. You know, I'm 38 now. I've been on this recovery journey since I was 31. But I think about my life before and I was concerned uh, about all the wrong things. <laughs> I, I held value in all the wrong things and it really limited me. It kind of fenced me into this corner that I did not get to experience and enjoy life because I was too busy in here thinking about how I looked and how I presented myself versus the impact that I was making or who I was connecting with. It was, it was sad. I lived a sad existence when I was that wrapped up in my body. Well, well, you're talking about you had an illness, right? And that's not your, that wasn't a choice you had. And I, you know what you sound like as somebody who's, you know, gone through recovery and, and realized how far you've come. And now you no longer, you know, active in the illness. And that's yes, really. A and it is right. No, it's an illness. Like, like when people ask me, one of my, one of the biggest things I had people like the thing that you say to anorexics, especially just eat like what, like, why don't you just eat? It's not that simple. <laughs> it's not that simple. There is layers upon layers and layers of this um, woven self-worth within what we put into our body and how we like it, and it's it's not it's it's there's definitely a nature and nurture aspect to it and I wanted to go back to you were talking about with the the period aspect and like with doctors and going and I have been to doctors my entire life um I my period stopped when I was about 16 years old due to exercise and due to, um, malnutrition and I got it back, um, right before marriage, I was in a happier space. I had to kind of curb my behaviors to, um, put on a front for my new husband that I wanted to him to think I was perfect. Right. And I got pregnant not on a period twice, which to me is just crazy universe God thing that I even got pregnant. But um, I had, I almost ruined both my pregnancies by 
using these horrible behaviors all throughout pregnancy. I was bedridden. I was, um, I was not in a good headspace, especially, um, unfortunately with my daughter, my second pregnancy, I just kind of shut down and they almost had to take her because she was not growing and thriving in my uterus because I was not fueling her and fueling myself. And, you know, I have a lot of, I used to have a lot of guilt with that. I have gotten to a point now and um, I've gotten to a point now where I regret it. Um, I think there's a difference. I think Brene Brown talks about regret versus shame. Um, <clears throat> I, re- I regret being that sick uh, and almost harming myself and my child. But my kind of, I guess, redemption there is I didn't allow myself to stay sick to, to breed that into their everyday lives as a human on the planet. Um, so I really, I really commend anyone that tries to better themselves with these behaviors and with these, these different toxic traits that we're taught are healthy and are beautiful and how we should be because the world is not friendly to people with uh eating disorders it's just not and i love how you said that like the world teaches these toxic diet behaviors as if they are you can't you can't go to the grocery store without seeing 18 magazines talking about the new fad diet and how to lose the belly fat, blah, blah, blah. It's like, where's the magazines talking about how to connect with, with humanity, how, like how to serve people around you and how to fulfill yourself. Like that's the type of stuff I want to see. And it took me a while to not be able to. Um, and I know a lot of people listening to this podcast are probably in the thick of it just trying to figure out grasp onto something some sort of hope of like goodness I I, I'm too far gone like I can't come back from this and I think one of my biggest biggest reasons for sharing my story is I literally my heart was almost dead and I didn't give up because you can always, you can always make a turnaround. You can choose differently. And sometimes it takes choosing minute by minute. Like you have to make those choices that are going to serve you and your body and your, your soul well. And it's not always the easy choice, especially if you've been conditioned to think otherwise. You know, and, and I think for you, as you were talking, it's even harder make that choice when you feel like taking time out of your life, when you do have other people that you're taking care of, or maybe you have a job or maybe all these other things, like really making that commitment. It's a big commitment, right? Like stepping out of your life and not giving into that guilt or all the other voices that say like, no, I can't. I've got kids. I've got a job. I've got this. Who am I to go and go into treatment? But what would you know exactly and i give a lot of credit for um 
to, to my treatment team and telling me that because I had the mindset going into when I chose to finally go get some counseling, get some help, talk to somebody that was an expert in the field of eating disorders. Um, I was doing it to save my marriage, not because I actually felt like I needed help. It was an ultimatum from my husband. You have to go get help or we're done. Like, I can't watch you continue to dig an early grave. And once I got there, it was such a relief. And then, but at the same time, like you were saying, I had all these layers. So when they were saying, listen, you're at level 10, we need to get you into inpatient treatment. You need to be (laughs) reined in because I was such a liar, because I was such a people pleaser. I was saying, oh yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that. I ate this. I did this. Here's my food logs. Here's everything. But I just did what I wanted to do and said all the right things. And once I got with people that understood eating disorders and people being manipulative and lying and doing whatever they wanted to do otherwise, because of that disorder, um, I, I was held a mirror up to myself. And I'm very thankful for that mirror. And I kept getting told, I kept telling them, I can't, I'm a teacher. I was a high school English teacher. Like I can't leave and just, I'll get fired. My kids won't have a teacher. What are my children going to do? They're two and four. They need a mother. And what's my husband going to do? He needs help. He has a job. He has this. And every time it came back to my therapist and my dietitian saying, okay, you either go away for 45 days, however long it takes, or you're going to die. And then you'll leave them and you'll have no chance to come back and actually be a part of their lives. So it was really plainly laid out to me. Um, Dr. Jeannie Burnett in Georgia, she's the head of MANA Treatment Center. She's amazing. And she really did. She laid it out to me. She's like, like, you can make all these excuses of why you can't, but then we're going to be at your funeral instead of your recovery party. So it was... It was hard truths that got me to finally let my guard down and wave the white flag of like, I can't do this myself. It was those hard truths of like, do I actually want to continue to be on this planet? Because the way I'm going, I'm not going to be. And I think that it, you know, takes a lot for people to actually understand that that's the case because there's a lot of denial. There's a lot of secrecy. Like you said, it's just a lot of hiding everything and putting on the mask. And so to even admit to yourself, like that's an actual reality. I think that takes a very long time, if, if ever, for people to get to and really recognize. Well, it's also, I, I like to put it this way. I'm not special. I, I thought my whole life, my disorder, my ego, like my my Ed brain told me that everybody else needs to eat, but you don't. You're special. Everybody else needs to limit the amount of time they run to exercise, engage in activity, but you don't. You're special. Everybody else might die from this. Like this might cause your heart, somebody else's heart to fail, somebody else to just uh, I don't know, like expire. Like I was expiring. My, my body was expiring and it was 
somebody looking at me and telling me you're not the exception. Like your body is not the exception to the rule. You need fuel. You need rest. You need to take care of your brain and your mental health. You can't just keep burning candles at both ends and acting like it's not going to catch up with you because here we are. Your heart is failing. And um, another thing is, how's that working for you? Like, that's why I kept getting asked, like, how's that working for you? Not eating. How's that working for you? Feeling like crap all the time. How's that working for you? Watching your family disintegrate. And I'm like, well, it's not working. (laughs) So really having the courage and the support. So many people, um, I I really want to emphasize that I had an extremely, I was extremely privileged in the support system I had with um, my husband, but also my extended family and friends were extremely supportive and my job. Um, I was, I think that's the part that shocked me the most that I would encourage people that are kind of trying to decide if they need to come clean or come like, we're not that sneaky. Like people know that you're not balanced. You're not healthy. Like we're, again, we're not that special. We're not the exception. Um, it's, I was very surprised at how supported I was when I finally decided to take a step back and take care of myself with my job, with my friends, with my children, even like it's, it's my, my, phrase that I love to say is if you own your stuff, no one can hold it against you. And that's how I live my life now. It's like, nobody's going to talk behind my back or spread rumors or like, Oh, what's happening? Like, Nope, this is what happened. This is what's happening. I'm sick. I need help. And I'm worthy enough as a human to demand that and to serve myself in that manner. Because I feel like we, we as women often, especially in positions with where we have others that we are thinking about, because that is the feminine brain that we are always trying to mother comfort. Um, we, we deserve that ourselves too. And you always get put on the back burner and get put seconds, right? Yeah. And you can't, you can't serve yourself or anyone else well when you are, you're deteriorating and, and that's not only in disorder, that's just in life in general and balance in general. Um, my husband and I joke, we, right before I went to treatment, um, he asked me, like, we had this like date night thing where we're like, "Hmm, if you had a book named about you, what would it be? And his was like balance. And I literally answered, forget balance because I was sick of telling people telling me I needed to have balance in my life. And I took such offense to it because I was like, I'm doing all these things. Like, can't you be proud of me? I'm doing everything. And when it really was, I just needed to stop doing everything and, and truly self-reflect on what my soul needed because I was trying to get it in all the wrong places. So, you know, as, as you're talking, um, 
and you know, sharing things that I'm sure lots of people listening can relate to and kind of shaking their heads, I'm sure. Um, you know, you did something amazing too. And I want to give you a, just a few minutes before we end to talk about, you know, your book and um, what kind of prompted you to write that and, and also talk about it so that if people do want to read it, um, you have an opportunity to share. Yes. Yeah, so, so thank you for allowing me the space to do this, but um when I was going into recovery, I was searching and I know a lot of people do that. That's why podcasts and websites and blogs are so popular because they are an outlet for us to look and see other people uh, going through the same things that we're struggling with and finding validation and that we're not just bonkers, like that we have like, this is a disorder. This is a mental thing that is not my fault, but I do have a chance to change the trajectory of my life. And when I was searching for that, I found so many resources and so many people out there that were so open with sharing their story. But uniquely to me, I'm, I'm a literature person. I'm an English major. I'm a language arts teacher. I connect to characters and stories so deeply. And we all have, I feel like those books or those movies or those shows that when they end, you're just like, oh, like that person, that character sticks with you and gives you almost hope and motivation for your own life. And I was searching for that on an adult level in literature with a main character with an eating disorder. And that goes through life and having all these decisions to make to better themselves and to help themselves live while also juggling all the aspects of life that are really hard to put on hold when you need to have that space and time to heal. So I, I vowed from the beginning I've always wanted to write a book. It's always uh, writing is my gift. Writing is my love. It's the way that I communicate best. It's the way that I, um, I think serve others as well. And I said, I'm going to write a book when I am ready, when I am mentally, physically able, I'm going to write a book with a main character that struggles through an eating disorder and running addiction. And I'm going to give others that outlet that I never could find when I needed it. And they, we so often see those characters and um, mental illness and depression and anxiety and eating disorders portrayed in younger characters. And here I was, I'm like, that's all well and good that this, 17 year old mom is forcing her to go to treatment, blah, blah, blah. And thank God for parents that do that. But I wasn't at that stage. And I, there was nothing out there that gave me hope that a woman could pull herself up by her bootstraps and do it herself with all the extra layers. So I created Protecting Her Peace, which is a fictional story that's based on my experience of the, the, I guess, downfall into my eating disorder and the rise out of it. 
because it's important, I think, especially for people that don't understand the illness to understand how one gets to this rock bottom point because it's not easily understood. Because when we all have, I think we've all experienced disordered eating, you know, as human beings and disordered thoughts about eating of like, oh, I'll quit this for a month or I'm going to cut back on this for a while, whatever. But then there's this extra added layer that people who do have that addictive gene and that eating disorder gene and that, that we can't just turn it off. It's not a choice. It's, it's a survival method, right? Like I, I, if I don't run, I'm going to die. If I, if I eat this, I'm going to implode. I'm going to die. It's going to kill me. And when the opposite is the truth and I needed that story. So I created it with the character of Ruby blue and I've, ironically, um, I had somebody tell me anything that you put out into the world that is to help others and to, to do good, it's going to be successful. It's going to, it's going to be that. And my book jumped to number one in its category, the second day it was out. And there's no reason it should have. (laughs) I'm not this famous author. I'm not somebody that has put put published literature out there before. And here it was taking off because there's a need. Um, I feel like I I have tapped into a need of this middle, I say middle aged, you know, um, older woman with more, I'm 38, the character in my books, like thirties, which is quite young and beautiful and beautiful and all that. But at the same time, it's not a 19 year old. It's not a child. Like this is an adult that is facing, um, layers and layers and layers of, of life on top of struggling to find purpose in her own outside of serving others. So I think Ruby's story is very important. I think it is something that is going to give hope for people that feel like they are too far gone. And especially women who have so much on their plate, so many aspects of life that just, I mean, women are badasses. They do everything. Like we are the bosses of the world. I truly believe that. And when we need help and we have this breakdown of needing to step back and not be that for a minute to save ourselves, I just wanted to give people hope that that is worth your time. It's worth your money. It's worth your efforts to heal so you can truly enjoy the life that you've cultivated or that you want to cultivate. So if people want to find your book and read it, how do they find it? So it is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Um, So just type in Brooke Heberling, Protecting Her Peace. And I truly, truly hope that 
it can, it can help people. That's the reason I wrote it. And I think that's, I think that's what the world is going to appreciate and love about it. Awesome. Well, and I will have all that information in the show notes as well. Brooke, thank you so much for sharing your story, for telling us about your book, which is also related to your story. Appreciate it. And all these great messages been really inspirational. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate you and all you're doing because the more people that are out there putting this message out like you are, um, the better the world's going to be. It really is. We just need to understand we're full of love and light. And if we can see that in ourselves and we can see it in others, that it's going to change and shift the energy that has been so negative lately uh, uh, surrounding so many things. So I'm thankful. Thank you so much. Thank you again. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host, the publisher, or the guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.